0: Hi, welcome to The Beagle Has Landed. I'm your host, Laura Hersher. Today, I'm talking to Brian Kirkpatrick. Uh, Brian founded Watershed DNA, a company that provides genetic counseling services for the genealogy community, and she is the co-author of an upcoming book on DNA topics for adoptees. Today's podcast is brought to you by Invite. When the question is genetics, the answer is Invite. So, Brian, you really hit a wave, huh?
1: I did, and thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to talk about these things. And and you know when I when I got interested in genealogy, it was purely out of hobby and for interest in my own family. And I saw that um you know, I kind of saw what was coming but really had no concept or idea of of what was about to happen with the direct to consumer market. Um, but I it you know, timing was very lucky for me that I yeah, developed what year, this interest. What year yeah. was
0: Watershed founded?
1: I started in um, 2016, January 1st, but I had been thinking about it for um, you know a year or two and, and worked for about six months prior to launch to get it ready to go. Um, and my first genetic test for myself and my family for genealogy purposes was around the end of 2013. So if you look at the graph of how much these tests have grown in number, I was kind of still down there before we saw this skyrocketing.
0: Yeah, Number. I mean, I think 2017 was really the takeoff year for for the Ancestry sites, just sh- rocket ship.
1: Yes, and I understand, having gotten into genealogy as a hobby, I understand where this is coming from, and also just seeing how many people are using it to track down genetic families, so the adoptee community and the donor-conceived community. And there's so many different ways that the testing can be used but that also means there's so many ways that a genetic counselor can be involved in helping out.
0: So yeah, so tell tell us about that. What's the most common uh, customer that you get? What's the most common question that shows up? Yeah, so um, it's kind
1: of changed a little bit over the past two and a half years. So I'm still doing a, a balance of what I'd call like, health-related questions with the raw data and third-party tools, but I've really seen a recent upsurge in people reaching out because they've gotten a DNA surprise. And um, These are things like people find out that the father who raised them is not their biological father, or someone discovers they have this half-sister or this mystery match. Who is this person? Can, can you confirm for me who they are? What do I do now? I feel like finding, I can no yeah.
0: longer go to a party without running into somebody who's had this experience. I, oh, I, was, I yes, was at a concert everywhere. with like mm-hmm. 10 people the other night and two of them, exactly that story. One of them had discovered he was adopted and he had, one was happy, one wasn't happy stories, you know. One had discovered he had seven full siblings he didn't know about because um, mm-hmm. his bi- birth parents had ended up getting married seven full siblings and the other and you know it's delightful and the other um person had you know made one of these unhappy discoveries about half siblings and um just in like this tiny little group
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah. Everyone I talk to about what I do has a story. I have a a neighbor who found out her father was a sperm donor uh, because she's matching all of these half siblings that she didn't know existed. (laughs) So, I mean, for some people it's what they did the testing for. So they're going into it, hoping to find a surprise and other people, it just, it's out totally out of the blue and just turns them up, their lives upside down. And, um, so one of the other things I've done is develop a secret support group for, for people. And it just started out as a support group. I started for a friend and some clients. So what, how do you,
0: how do you arrange that when you say you started it? What, what's the, how does the group meet? How do you provide support? So
1: Yeah, there's not any official meeting time. People essentially join and then they share their story and they, ask for advice from one another. And I don't do too much of I'm, I'm the administrator, but I'm not involved too much in the discussions. So you, do you
0: vet that the person is like, legitimately has a story?
1: I do. So I, I, when they reach out asking to join, because people have to find out about it, they can't just search Facebook and see that the group exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask to join. And so I will ask them to tell me their story. And I can't confirm or fact check every story that comes through, but I haven't had a situation where someone gets into the group and then they've done, you know, bad things or have ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. And I, I keep the group small. So, um, hundred group, a hundred people in the group, I cap it and then I start a new one. So I have four,
0: four have of these You have four groups, groups and yeah. each is capped at a hundred people. Yeah. yeah That's a person- lot of people.
1: It is. And and my group isn't even the biggest. There's other ones out there like it. There's one called MPE Fellowship. MPE stands for Not the Parent Expected or not, Non-Paternity Event.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that
1: one's out over 3,000, I think. And I have, I have information have And they support one
0: another? They just kind of, do, do, you put up your story and then other people sort of say, that's really tough. Here's what you're probably going through, whatever.
1: Right. So a lot of the people in the group have been through the same exact experience, maybe a year ago or a couple of months ago, or maybe, you know, a decade ago. And so people are, are all at different parts of that journey and support each other with just comments, you know, like, Oh, I, I totally know what you're going through. Here's what I went through as well. So it's support by storytelling, I guess.
0: So, uh, one thing I, I love, so, um, Brian was on Megyn Kelly last month and um, on the show, and they were doing a segment on this exact topic. And yeah. she asked, What should you do? You know, how do you, how, how, how do you handle it if you think there's a surprise there, something hidden in your own family? Should you not do these test centers? Should you not? What should you do this? Should you do that? And I loved your answer, which was maybe get out in front of it. And be honest. Um, yeah. You never hear anybody matter. say that. And I just thought it was like such a great answer.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was kind of, it was hard to get up there and say that, that, um, you know, it's not a question of if, this, if these secrets are going to come out at this point. It's just a question of when they're going to come out. And um, that actually triggered a few people to reach out to me after the Megyn Kelly show. And I'm meeting with a couple who are trying to figure out how to tell their children they use donor conception their children are adults now and have kids of their own and, and they've realized that it's just a matter of time. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be um, a lot of people's story. Um, And actually I wrote an, uh, an article a couple of years ago, personally, I I, sort of at the beginning of this wave. And it's like way more true now than it was saying that in a medical setting, we need to rethink. uh, our default mechanism, where I feel like our default mechanism has been to either not tell people when a test shows misattributed paternity, and I'm just going to go with paternity here, because I know that with all the egg donors, it could also be maternity, but but so far, I haven't seen it. So let's just, let's just say that. Um, Or, well, let's say any uh, unexpected relationships within the family situation to not tell or to tell the person, like the mom who you already think knows. I I know that's been our impulse. And I think maybe we need to rethink that. Like that was my argument in in a paper I wrote a couple of years ago, because I think the old assumption was if we let sleeping dogs lie, we weren't going to disrupt a family situation. And and if we didn't tell, maybe they'd never find out. And now I think you have to assume that they're going to find out.
1: Yeah. And, And I know part of the informed, the ideal informed consent would cover this topic and um, raise the discussion of, you know, if this has, if there's a non-paternity situation going on, this test can reveal that. um, And do you want to discuss it now or do you want to talk, you know, talk about it later? Um, And whether, you know, how that changes things in the clinic. Um, I don't know. I guess we need to ask the genetic counselors who are working with the, with the, typical genetic setting where it's it's not coming out in the direct-to-consumer way. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just think it's – I mean, you've thought about this a lot. I just yeah. think it's something we need to be talking about uh, in the clinical setting, too. Yeah, um, It mm-hmm. needs to maybe reorient the way we think about this because – well, so this is my thinking. People find out um, if that consent form is signed, say, by the mom – and she mm-hmm. says, I don't want anything to come out. Um, and then later on, the the father, who also thought he was the biological father, finds out otherwise. I mean, what are you finding from people? I think people are going to come back and be like, hey, you didn't tell me.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that so much of the anger definitely comes out in a lot of these situations. But I I don't imagine that the anger is going to be directed so much at the medical community mm-hmm. as it is towards the person who was keeping the secret all that all of those years um, yeah, and I, I I put up posts on my website that are people's stories and DNA surprise stories and I recently ro- wrote up one that was about uh, a gentleman who found out at age 78 just from doing 23andMe with his kids that his kids were not biologically his and um, it had led to the conversation about you know if if i wanted to make this a legal issue with my ex-wife could i and and i had to tell him you know i'm i can't provide you legal advice but this this type of testing is not admissible in court paternity testing would so you know think about your options but he was livid as as is understandable
0: i, I, mean, he was I being am, i'm i'm uh, so i can i'm not, I, I would I, I think your move was right i definitely If it was me, I definitely wouldn't be be sort of saying, like, let me switch into my lawyer gear here. But um, I don't think that there's any legal action you can take under that. I mean, it certainly would be groundbreaking, and I really can't see um, that the courts would open up that question. Um, But... I don't know. Maybe right. we'll, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll ask some lawyers, uh, what they think about that. So let me ask you as a genetic counselor, because that's a better, okay. a better yeah. role for, for it's you and me. Um, what do you tell the people that come to you and say, we have donor conceived kids, they don't know they're donor conceived? What, what, what's your, what do you do as a genetic counselor there? So
1: some, Something that all genetic counselors do is connect people to resources. And so I tell them about Donor Conceive, Conceive Network, the Donor Conception Network, which is a website and a network that comes out of the U.K., but they've created a, a lot of really useful resources for parents, whether their children are still young and they're deciding to tell them when they're young or if they're adults and deciding to tell them then. Um, so I connect them with online resources, information, Support groups, other websites, and then just talk about um, fears and expectations, and and address, make sure that that they have accurate information, and also that they're understanding what the the DNA testing
0: itself. Do you make a case for telling the kids? I I or do. You try and, to stay mm-hmm. neutral, because to me, I think it it's appropriate for a genetic counselor to make the case that it's that there's a value in knowing your true genetic biological history.
1: Right. And, and a lot of my posts on my social media are, you know, pro rights of adoptees and donor conceived people to know their origins. So that, that is a little bit of a bias that I have, but I, I don't um, tell them when, you know, there's, I think you can be neutral about, you know, when and how this conversation comes up, but I'm always going to go back to the point that th- this is significant information for somebody's life, not only themselves but also future generations. So, yeah, what, I, I guess what, I. Um, yeah.
0: What percentage of the, what percentage of the people who are coming to you are asking straight up medical questions? Talking-
1: oh, that. Um, I'd still say I get a balance of fifty fifty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. half of the people come in, and it's mostly um, Prometheus reports, a little bit of Genetic Genie. Um, and
0: and yeah. the book you're writing on um mm-hmm. uh on topics for adoptees so that's really a medical or is it is that a medical well, or
1: it has four sections the the book has four sections and and one of those sections is focused on medical genetics topics mm-hmm. and i i go into that part of the book is was um one of the areas where i did more of the writing because i'm mm-hmm. co-authoring this with a a, a genealogist friend and um this the section of the book on medical genetics talks about not just the direct to consumer stuff but all of the different types of clinical testing that could be helpful for adoptees
0: do you think we should routinely in clinical settings be offering some sort of testing to adoptees and and if so like what what would you point them towards
1: yeah so i've um i do i, I do think so but the the question and challenge right now is coverage for for testing, because not everybody has. If you don't have a medical indication for testing, it can be hard to get insurance to pick it up. So the tests that um, I talk about with adoptees would be carrier screening, Um, also talk about some of the proactive health panels at some of the companies, I don't wanna name names, um, but there's proactive health panels for people who don't have any medical issues, but just want an extra level of screening for themselves. I talk a little bit about exome and genome testing. However, that can be difficult if, say, we get a VUS and we don't have any other family members to test because that person that is adopted or donor conceived and they don't have um, access to family, other biological family to test, what are we going to be able to tell them about the VUS? So I talk a little bit about that in the book as well. There's a couple other areas um, that I talk about.
0: Um, I want to get to, this is, this is, and I, I, sorry, on on the book, I assume that other areas discover, discuss using DNA testing to find relatives and so on, is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first, the first part of the book is heavy on um, how DNA can be used to identify biological family, like how to do it. Um, But where, where it's going to be different from some of the other genetic genealogy books that are out there is um kind of introducing the idea that this can be really uh, really significant information and don't underestimate the value of working with a counselor before you even go start start on a search or start to do DNA testing like really think about think about and explore these 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 issues related to the adoption itself before searching for family
0: i think um you know, I think it's so great that you've gone this entrepreneurial route. And one of the things I, I, I think is interesting about the business that you've done is I, you know, uh, genetic counselors sometimes get accused or pointed to that we're more comfortable around the medical facts uh, when, when, you know, so we, we lean hard on the hard knowledge that we have, uh, the science knowledge. And I think that's also true when we go to sort of say like, oh, like, do I want to start a business? Do I want to start, do do, do something new, join a startup that's like, I have this great skill set of hard knowledge, uh, which is not to say that you're not using it, but I think one of the things that's interesting is you really are like, I have this great skill set of counseling and I'm going to use that mm-hmm. to start a business, which I think is, it's at- it's interesting and atypical and, and, and uh, great for the field. Um, and so... What have you learned being an entrepreneur? I think a lot of people are interested in this idea of like, you know, packing up that genetic counselor toolkit and taking it on the road. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so that's a good question. And there are many, many ways that I could have the answer lead. But I I think the way what I want to focus on is that, that it is really challenging. It's really challenging to be an entrepreneur and to be doing something that nobody else is really done before, because there's all of those challenges of running a business. I'm a a one woman show and I do it all. And that, that can be exciting and fun to have that, that um, control and be able to take the business in the way that I want to, but it's also exhausting. And um, there's also challenges with having steady work. So it feels like feast or famine. And I know that's pretty common with startups in general, not just one person startups, but um the feast or famine path can be challenging. Um but there there are so many benefits to it that make it worthwhile for me that is worth putting up with those challenges and trying to make it work. Because I'm I'm a mom with three kids, age 10 all the way down to seven months old. And I really needed something that would give me ultimate control over my schedule. And I also wanted to have control over the cases that I, I accepted or tried to refer to somebody else. And, and it's, it really has helped me um, use the skills that I have developed and that I enjoy, to u- enjoy using and helping people who need a different kind of genetic counselor get to where they need to be.
0: Um, I think anybody observing uh, the growth of your company from the outside would 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 note that you've been very successful with the the earned media, right? You're 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 in the news a lot. You've done some television appearances and so on. And
1: mm-hmm. you've, you've
0: done a great job of establishing yourself in the public eye as you know one of the the experts and um, and and where to go, which I think is great. Um, do you have any thoughts on like how did you do that?
1: Well, it. It came. I didn't. I didn't have to. Actually, I actually didn't have to seek out all of those opportunities. I just had to say yes when they came around, and it, it's really easy for me to talk about these things because I'm passionate about it, and I see the value of genetic counselor. And any time that that I can be there to be the voice, I'm going to say yes. So, um, it, which is kind of brave. Did, uh, which is kind of oops, brave, Brian,
0: because that's that's not easy, especially not the first time.
1: No, and it came from practice and experience as well, so it didn't I didn't just one day wake up and go on the Megan Kelly show. It really was a, starting small, starting with little things like um, you know writing guest blog posts or leading an NSGC ta- task force. And over time, one opportunity led to the next, and they were tiny baby steps at the time, but added up all together. It leads down a path where I get asked to do. You know, when I at, get asked for my thoughts and opinions on things that really matter to me, mm-hmm. so I I just encourage genetic counselors to to take risks and and to try new things and and to try to say yes as much as you possibly can when opportunities do come around.
0: So, um, just just a really one other question that I wanted to get to. Um, I, I I was reading your website and you were saying that. If you could work with them, it, it depended on whether there was licensure in the state. Can you explain to me how state licensure affects your ability to work with clients?
1: Yes. Um, so it it's it can be frustrating when there's somebody that I know that I can work with them, and there are very few, if any, other people who can. But because I'm not licensed in that state, I have to try to help them get the information a different way. So, is that, um, Sorry, is that, yeah. is that
0: if, if there's no licensure in a state, does that mean you can work with somebody?
1: Correct, yes. So, so this um, is an
0: issue in states where there is licensure, but you're I not licensed. Right.
1: I, I have six licenses, um, but have kind of had to stop there just because it's really time-consuming and expensive to keep going and mm-hmm. get them all. Um, so I've kind of done as much as I I can right now and at this point if I have people coming with straight up medical questions um, I tend to send them to genome medical which is a network that I'm a part of as well for doing medical stuff and that helps get people to if it's a medical question
0: and if it's if it's the DNA surprise or whatever you, you don't, can you just work with them no matter where they yeah. are
1: yeah. yeah. So I I did a pretty thorough investigation of the language of state licensure laws. And in, in every state it mentions, it refers to genetic counseling being around medical and health. And um, because so much of the, you know, the DNA surprises, they're, they're not asking me medical related questions. They're really focused on their concern at hand. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's great. I think you've done a great job with this. And I, I'm you know, uh, proud is probably the wrong word, because what do I have to do with it? But I, it's been exciting to watch you expand the genetic counseling role into this area and establish yourself as as an expert on a national level. That's really been an exciting thing to watch. And um, so I'm so glad you were here today to, to share the story. Thank you so much, Laura. Appreciate it. Right, uh, so... Thanks for listening to The Beagle Has Landed. Follow me on on Twitter and go to the website and sign up and subscribe, all that stuff. Thanks. Today's podcast is brought to you by Invite. When the question is genetics, the answer is invite.